0: Father, again we are here to study your word, thanking you for your mercies, your watch care, your goodness, your protection and your love upon us. I pray, Father, that as we study John chapter 8, that the Holy Spirit will fill our hearts with love, and joy and understanding. And as we study, we will understand your word so that we can be faithful, followers of you and we can tell others about your love so that this gospel this gospel of the kingdom will go into all the world to every nation kindred tongue and people so that you jesus our savior our creator the anointed one can come again to put an end to sin and suffering i pray father that for each person studying with their Bibles before them, that you will open their eyes that they can see. We are using your word and I pray that for enlightenment, you promise that you will give us Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And we want to be led into all truth so we can follow your word. Forgive us, we pray, for all our sins. Bless us with the things that we will need to do your will. There are people who are suffering all over this world. People are in harm's way. People who are planning to prevent the spread of your word. I pray, dear Lord, that we all will understand that God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Prepare us for your coming, I pray. And I pray that all of us will be saved in your kingdom. It is not an impossibility. Help us to desire your leadership. I ask these mercies in our Messiah's name, I pray. Amen. John chapter 8, and I entitled this study, Caught in the Act." John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Now here is a mound of olive this is a mound of olive, and over here you can see it's a drawing, but you can see the temple this is not the temple during the days of Jesus, but the temple the way it look now, but it's at the spot where the temple would have been. If Jesus was sitting over here on the Mount of Olives with his disciples looking over. It was the middle of the feast that he came up. And we're going to look what feast it is and about what time in the year we can tell the very day this incident took place. The year, the month, and the day that this incident took place. And as we go into the study, you will see the Feast of Tabernacle, that was a feast according to John chapter 7. It said in verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And again, we're going to look at the time when this took place. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34, God speaking to Moses to speak to the children of Israel, he said this, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, the fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of Tabernacle for seven days unto the Lord. Now, the seventh month is not July the way we have it. The time of the month compared to the biblical month is off. Our time is about three months behind the biblical month. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, God had set the time for the biblical month. That month was called Abib. equivalent to our about March April so the seventh month biblical month the seventh biblical month would be equivalent to our about September October so the 15th day of the seventh month would be the starting of the Feast of Tabernacle it would go for seven days so 15th day, the 7th month, the Feast of Tabernacles started. The 16th day of the 7th month. The 17th day, the 7th month. The 18th day of the 7th month. Now because the feast would go about 7 days, Jesus came then in the middle of the feast. He would have come up now to Jerusalem about the 18th day of that 7th month. And again, the 7th month is equivalent to our September, October. The woman was brought to Jesus on the 19th day of the feast. And we're going to see as we read through, you know, how we can tell this using chapter 7 and chapter 8. The 28th day of the seventh month. And then the feast would end on the 21st day of the seventh month. So this is the length of the feast of Tabernacle. It was one of the only feasts in the Bible. The feasts today have different names. But this feast was given two names in the Bible. It was given the feast the name Feast of Tabernacle. Because it was at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacle, Jesus was born. He was born about September, October. He was born just the evening of the fourteenth day of the seventh month, starting of the fifteenth, the other seventh month, Tabernacle because God was coming to Tabernacle with us, Emmanuel, God with us, God dwelling with us. It this feast had a different name also. It had the feast, the name Feast of Ingathering. So it's called the Feast of Tabernacle and the Feast of Ingathering. Now here are the different feasts in Israel. The Highlights in green are the yearly Sabbath, so Abib was the first month in the Biblical calendar. The 14th day of the first month was passed over. The 15th day of the first month was when the Feast of Unleavened Bread started. It went for 7 days. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread would have been a, a Sabbath. And this that you see on the screen, it fell on a Sabbath. But remember, these are dates. They can fall on any day of the week. Some years, it would be on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, just like your birthday. The birthday, every person's birthday, falls on a different day of the year, depending on when that date would have come. So the fifteenth day of the first month was a feast of unleavened bread, when all leaven was put out of the house of both strangers and Israelites. Leaven is a symbol of sin. So when the Passover lamb died, it now have a symbol that the Lamb represents Jesus. When that Lamb died the sins were taken away. Therefore, leaven was taken out of the house as a symbol for seven days. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This day, the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, would have fallen on a Friday. This day was celebrated just like a Sabbath. This day was celebrated just like a Sabbath. There were yearly Sabbath. These are the weekly Sabbath. These don't change. These are always the last day of the week, weekly Sabbath. But these Sabbath, because there were dates in the month, they would fall on different days. So here, the end of unleavened bread. Then 50 days from this feast, we have another celebration. Well, you know, actually there's one more celebration in the first month, and it's in gathering. The... First day after the 15, which now would have been the 16, was the first fruit, not in gathering. Excuse me. The 16 is first fruit. Passover, beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, first fruit, and then the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When Jesus was on earth, Jesus died on Passover. It was called the preparation day in some of the gospels. The 15th of the first month, at the time when Jesus died in AD 31, fell on a Sabbath. Because the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath, then you have what we call a double Sabbath. The Bible refers to this as a high day. Jesus rests in the grave at the time of the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. First fruit, Jesus rose from the dead. Now remember, the day does not start at midnight the way our days start. It starts at sunset. So the 16 would have started at the sunset of the 15th. The 15th would have started at the sunset of the 14th. The 14 would have started at the sunset of the 13th. So Jesus could have rose from the dead any time at the sunset of the 15th. To the day part of the first day of the week. And we know that he rose from the dead before the sunrise because the women came early in the morning. And when they came, he was not in the grave, he had risen from the grave. Now, 50 days from this day is Pentecost. Pentecost. Represent the fact that Israel left Egypt and 50 days after they left Egypt God spoke the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai so this is the time of Pentecost now if you remember on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit was poured out 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread if you remember also Jesus, after He rose from the grave on the first day of the week, which was the 16th day of the first month, He spent 40 days. So if you should count 40 days from here, you can find the exact time in the second biblical month, not February, but the biblical month that Jesus went back to heaven. And then 10 days later, we had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then. The first day of the seventh month was trumpets. The priest would blow trumpets sign- signaling when each month started. So when the first month started, he would blow trumpet. When the second month started, he would blow trumpet. The same thing for the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. So there were seven series of blowing of trumpets leading up to the Feast of Trumpets. In the book of Revelation, you'll notice that there are seven trumpets. It's the same thing here that we're seeing here. Seven trumpets, the reason for it is to let the people know that the Day of Atonement was coming. The Day of Atonement was the 10th day of the seventh month. Again, when you read Revelation, you can see the trumpets. Then you're going to see the fact that there's a call back to worship God in Revelation chapter 14. Combining that with Daniel chapter 8 and 9, it said at the end of the 2300 days, the sanctuary would be cleansed. That is similar to the cleansing of the the sanctuary on the Day of Atonement, which was the 10th day of the 7th month. The 15th day of the 7th month was Tabernacle. That's the one we're studying now in John chapter 7 eight and nine because jesus went up to jerusalem to celebrate the feast of tabernacles it started on the 15th day of the seventh month i'm going to look at that in a little more detail that feast went on for seven days so it went one two three four five six seven the day after the end of the feast of tabernacles was another Sabbath so all these highlights in green there were seven yearly Sabbaths. every year because they fell on dates in the month they would fall on different days it does not matter which day they fell on that day would have been celebrated just like a Sabbath whenever one of these feast days fall and the regular Sabbath, then that Sabbath was called a high day or a double Sabbath. And you can see Jesus did something on all of these Sabbaths and that's why when Jesus came and died these Sabbaths were fulfilled. When He poured the Holy Spirit, this Sabbath was fulfilled. When we had the seven trumpets in Revelation, this Sabbath was fulfilled. When we had the end of the 2300 days prophecy in Daniel, this Sabbath was fulfilled because it pointed to Jesus. There are only two Sabbaths that's left to be fulfilled, and it's the tabernacle or in gathering, and then the celebration at the end of that in gathering. So that's, again, an overview of all the yearly Sabbaths. The yearly Sabbaths. Point to the coming Messiah the seventh day Sabbath is not pointing to the coming Messiah because the seventh day Sabbath was instituted before sin the seven yearly Sabbath were instituted after sin the seventh day Sabbath was instituted at creation in Genesis chapter 2 before sin the Bible said that God who was working, rested on that seventh-day Sabbath. And then in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible commandment for this fourth commandment was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything. So the seventh-day Sabbath points back to creation. The yearly Sabbath points to what the Messiah would do in order to get rid of sin from this earth. And you can read it also in Hebrews chapter 4 where Paul said, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath, you must rest just as how God rested from his work. Now, it was on a Sabbath that Jesus had the incident with the woman that was caught in adultery. It was also on a Sabbath that Jesus healed the man that was born blind. In John chapter 9 verse 1 it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Why was he passing by? Because at the end of chapter 8, they wanted to stone him because he was claiming to be the I Am. And they took a stone to stone him. He was in the temple. And he was walking out, going, leaving the temple so that they would not stone him. And then chapter 9 is starting out with, as he was passing by. So the incident of chapter 9 and the incident of chapter 8 took place on the same day. And chapter 9 verse 14 tell us that it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened the man's eyes. So the feast started in the 15th day of the seventh month if you read in chapter 7 you'll find out that his brothers jesus's brothers, was saying to him that he should go to the feast but jesus did not go to the feast the brothers went up and then they said, in the midst of the feast jesus went up so the feast was seven days one two three four five six seven and if you remember the the day after the ending of the feast here would have been celebrated as a sabbath so this was a sabbath because it was a feast of trumpet this was a Sabbath because it was the Feast of Day um, of Atonement. This was a Sabbath because the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacle. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the midst of the Feast. This was the midst of the Feast. So He went up and He was teaching. Then He t- told us in chapter 7 that He went to the Mount of Olives. And then the next day He went back to the Temple to continue teaching. So He went back to the Temple on the 19th. This was a Sabbath here, that you're seeing here, that he healed the man. So the incident of chapter 9 took place on the Sabbath here, and also the incident of chapter 8 took place on the Sabbath. Notice, these people were coming with a woman to stone the woman on a the Sabbath. They did not care. In order to get rid of Jesus, they would break every commandment in the Bible in order to kill him. So they brought this woman to him, and it was on a Sabbath. It was the 19th day of that seventh month. And we can see everything. So Jesus went up to the temple on the Friday. He spent Friday night, the beginning of the Sabbath, on the Mount of Olives. And then he came back to the temple on Sabbath morning to continue teaching when this woman was brought to him. So now let's look at it. Verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, the midst is the place of, you know it's a place of importance, but it's also the place now where every person can see her. She was not just off to one side. They took her and gathered the crowd. Now remember again, this was the Feast of Tabernacle, just before we had the feast of the Day of Atonement. So there were hundreds of thousands. Of people in Jerusalem at this time it was not just 10 20 or 60 people there were literally hundreds of thousands of people up to Jerusalem for these three feasts the first of the month trumpets 10th of the month Day of atonement 15th day of the month tabernacle are, are in gathering thousands upon thousands of people and Jesus is there teaching hundreds of and thousands of people and they brought this woman and put her right in the midst. more than likely because she was caught in adultery probably she didn't even have on any clothes because they wanted to embarrass her and they wanted to embarrass Jesus they wanted to find a reason so that they can kill him now remember this is now six months before Jesus is going to die we are in the seventh month in AD 30 and he's going to die in A.D. 31, at the first month. So it's just six months leaving. Verse 4, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. You know, it's, we're not trying to paint uh, sordid pictures on people's minds. But how can you catch a person in the act and you only catch one? Now that's the sad part of it. they are breaking every one of God's commandments in order to lay a trap for Jesus, so we know exactly who is behind it. The devil is the one that's behind it. now notice verse five now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned, and notice what he ask, but what do you have to say if Jesus should stay? That the woman should be stoned, then they would say that he's taking the authority that belongs only to the Romans, because only the Romans then should be able to sign the death decree for a person. Remember, the Roman govern, governor, the Roman king, had to sign the death decree for putting Jesus to death. So they wanted him to say that. Now, if Jesus should say, no, she shouldn't be killed, then they would accuse him. doing away with Moses' law. Remember, after Jesus had died and the disciples were preaching, one of the things the disciples were accused of was doing away with Moses' law. So whichever way Jesus answered, they were sure that they could find a reason to put him to death. And remember, there were hundreds of thousands of people listening. Even if they were not in that immediate vicinity, When they saw this crowd, hundreds of people would be running to look. Others would be telling others what's happening. So it would have spread very fast that he's either taking the law in his own hands or doing away with the law of God. Now, what did Moses say? Now, remember, Moses received all his information from God. You can read that in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Exodus chapter 19, God told Moses to come up to him to the mountain. And when God spoke the Ten Commandments, and then at the end of speaking the Ten Commandments, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 20, verse about 19, the people said, Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God speak to us. If God speaks to us, we're going to die. So Moses went up in the mountain. He was up there for a length of time, 40 days. He came back down because the people were getting into crazy stuff but then he went back up and God gave him the information so Moses did not come up with these laws just by himself so what did God say through Moses what did Moses really say Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 22 if a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband then they shall both, both of them shall die. Both the man that lay with the woman, and the woman, so shall thou put away evil from Israel. That's what Moses said. That's not what they did. They brought the woman alone. So you can see that it's not a question for information they ask asking Jesus. It's a trap so that they can kill him. But we're going to look at some more things that Moses said. Deuteronomy chapter 22, now we're going to start reading in verse 23. If a damsel, that is a virgin, be betrothed unto an husband. Now remember, in the biblical sphere, if you're engaged, if you're betrothed, same thing, if you're engaged to be married, it's as if you're married. So if a damsel, that is a virgin, is betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city. Notice that God specified the place. Now, this woman, we don't know where she was caught in adultery. We don't know if it was in Jerusalem in the city, or if it was out in the village, or if it was out in the, you know, in the encampment. Because remember again, thousands of people would have been camp around Jerusalem and the Mount of Olive, all around in that area, because of these feasts that was held in the seventh month. So they did not say where she was caught. So again you can see they're just laying a trap because the Bible specified the place if the person was caught. So just start reading again in verse 23. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto a husband And a man found her in the city and lie with her. Then ye shall bring them both unto the gate of that city. And ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel because she cried not. Being in the city and the man because he had humbled his neighbor's wife. Notice, so shall you put away evil from among you. The reason why God is saying that the damsel should cry out is that if she was raped then it would not have been that she was a willing participant now the man could have prevented her from crying out but what the bible is getting at is if she is a willing participant in the act and she is engaged to be married then both again of them should be put to death if the person was raped the man prevent her from crying out then we're going to see in those cases it's going to be a different situation but in both these cases all the time the man must be put to death he had no way of escape so again we ask the question this woman that was caught in adultery how is it that they caught the woman but they did not catch the man Deuteronomy chapter 22 continue reading verse 25 but if a man Find a becho damsel, and notice now, in the field, the first one was in the city, now in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing, there is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. There was never a way, according to Moses, that the man could escape being put to death. But there were ways that the woman could escape being put to death. They should have investigated the matter and find out if the man had raped the woman, if the man had forced the woman. If the man forced the woman, then the woman would be let free. The man would always be put to death. Here's one more case now. Continue reading Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 28. If a man find a damsel, and now she is a virgin, and she is not betrothed, and lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found, see then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, he would have to marry her, because he has humbled her, he may not put her away, Notice now, all his days. So if a man has sexual intercourse with a woman that's not married, and he is not married, automatically he would have to get married to the woman. And that marriage could never be annulled. Now if you remember there are cases where they ask Jesus, can a man put away his wife for any cause? You can see them reading the Bible, in the book, Deuteronomy especially, you can see that God had strict provision of when marriage could, be end, could, be, could come to an end. You can, cannot just divorce. They claim that Moses said you can divorce for any cause. But if you read the Bible, you will see it's not true. Now they're claiming that Moses said the woman should die. And by reading the Bible, you can see that according to the Bible, that's not the case. Every time, the man should die. In some of the cases, the woman should die. But there was no escape for the man. You know, people are saying things today and they say the Bible says. And some of us who don't know the Bible, when somebody comes to us and say the Bible says, especially if it's a person with education, then sometimes we feel intimidated and we believe what they're saying. You can see now, that it is very important for us to study for ourselves that we can rightly divide the word of God so we can know exactly what God's requirement He has for us. Verse 6 of chapter 8 notice what He said. This they said, tempting Him that they might have to accuse Him. So here's a case we are there laying a trap for Jesus they're using the woman they are willing to put the life of a human being in danger in order to kill Jesus now remember Jesus said the same thing that they did to him they will do for his followers the time will come when those who kill us his followers will think that they're doing God a favor look in the world today Look at the crimes that's being committed in the name of God. Look at the crusades that were held where people were killed, slaughtered and it was done in the name of saying that they are trying to promote the cause of God. Again, God did not send the disciples out to kill unbelievers. God sent the disciples out to teach unbelievers. God did not commit commission Peter to kill the sheep in John chapter 21. God commissioned Peter to feed the sheep. So, whoever is trapping bombs around their body and then becomes suicide bombers, blowing up themselves and blowing up and killing people, saying, that they're doing things for god the question is which god we can see that they have the same characteristics as the leaders in israel in Jesus' days they would be willing to kill a woman in order to kill jesus brothers and sisters we need to study for ourselves to see what god wants us to do so that we don't become like people who kill in order and say that they're doing God's will. He wrote on the ground instead of on a stone, because it was possible for them to have their evil deeds washed away. It was possible for them to be forgiven. So continue reading verse six. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though. He heard them not. Isn't that amazing? He did not want to be a participant in hearing the sordid deed. He did not even look at the woman. He looked at the ground. He did not want to demean her anymore. So he looked at the ground and he started writing. This is the second time that God is writing. God here in humanity. God here in the flesh. Remember in John chapter 1, The Bible said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He laid aside His divinity and took on His humanity. He was the one who wrote the Ten Commandments on stone to make it permanent. But now, He's writing the sins of even these murderers on the ground, so that as the wind blew, it would just blow His writing away. Because He was giving them a chance to repent so when they continued asking him he lifted up himself and he said unto them he that is without sin among you let him cast a stone at her and again he stooped down wrote on the ground now you know you have people today that say if someone in the church should fall into a sin the implication is that no one can correct that uh, fault or that sin in the church. That's not what Jesus is doing here, and we just pointed it out. Those people were participant, uh, p- had participated in laying a trap for the woman. You know, nowadays we can ca- we can ca- call it various names. We can call it uh, doing investigation where we would lay a trap for people to see if they're selling drugs or if they're. Doing some illicit act, and then we can say we, we catch them in the act. We can lay what we call sting. We should never lay a trap even when we suspect that someone is doing wrong. If we should suspect someone is doing wrong, we should follow the biblical model of getting that person to give up the wrong. And we're going to look at it in a little while. So, we should never lay traps. Remember Jesus said, Woe be unto those who lay a stumbling block before the least of his children. It's better for that person to actually kill themselves than to lay a stumbling block. So we should never participate in laying stumbling block to catch someone in sin. If we have any knowledge that a person is committing a sin, We should, in mercy, try to reach out to them in a biblical manner. Notice, how should we point out sin? We can point out sin. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. So if somebody fall into sin, we should restore. Toward them in meekness. Notice what he said. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the Bible is not saying that we can't point out sin. The Bible is not saying that we can't try to get people to repent from their act. Jesus said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. It's because they came with stone and they had participated in laying the trap. For the woman. So they were just as guilty as the woman. Verse 9, continue reading verse 8. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they were convicted by their conscience because they knew that they had done wrong, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the least. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself. Now notice the woman was standing. She was lying on the ground. They wanted her in a prominent position. Jesus, he was the one who stooped down and was writing. When Jesus had lifted up himself. And saw none but the woman. He said unto her. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? They were all gone. She said, no man, Lord. The only person then that could, could condemn her was Jesus. So she said, no man. And the, the rhetorical question that she is asking, are you going to condemn me? And notice Jesus' response. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. He's not going to condemn her. And notice what he said, go. You can go. Sin no more. Now, remember when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, he told him the same thing. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. When he forgave this woman, he told her the same thing. Sin no more. If there is not the possibility that now we can live without sinning, then Jesus would be unreasonable to make that statement. Before we come in contact with Jesus, before we have a knowledge of Jesus we are dead in trespassing and sin. But just like what Jesus said to Nicodemus, if we are born again, if we understand the power that Jesus has to give each of us so that we can live that life, then we can understand that we can actually live now after we accept Jesus. Remember what Paul said in the book of, I think it's either Galatians or Philippians. I think it's in Galatians. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ living in me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I'm living by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who loved me, loved us, and gave his life for us. So once we understand the power of Jesus, knowing that he came to this earth as the Messiah, he died, he rose from the dead, and all power in heaven and earth is given to him. Now if we accept that power, we can live without sinning. God is more powerful than the devil. There is no card of circumstances. Our sin that the devil can use to bind us to him, that if we cry out to God in faith, that Jesus cannot lose. He will lose us and tell us, go and sin no more. But we have to keep that daily communion. I die daily. We have to keep that daily communion with him. I of mine own self can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. But we combine in with him. Is nothing that's impossible. So through the power of Jesus, the woman could go and sin no more. Jesus did not condemn her. Jesus forgave her. Jesus told her and also equipped her to go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the water of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of life. So Jesus is speaking, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus can give us the light that we can see the traps that the devil will set for our feet to cause us to fall so that we can have life, he said, "I came to give life, and to give it more abundantly." Then the Pharisees therefore said unto him, "Thou bearest record of thyself; thy record is not true." Jesus answered and said unto them, "Though I be a record of myself, yet my record is true; for I know whence I came, and whither I go. But you cannot tell whence I come." And whether I go, ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. Notice, he's telling them what they had just tried to do. They were, they had judged wrong. They were judging after the flesh, literally and spiritually. But he's not judging because he's here to save. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone. But I and the Father that sent me. He is not alone. So the Father and the Son are two independent different beings. We saw at the baptism, Jesus was in the water. The, vo- the voice of the Father from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down and abode upon him. So there we have the Godhead portrayed. The Bible does not use the word Trinity, but the Bible shows us that in the Godhead, there are three beings in the Godhead. There's one God made up of three beings, the Father, what we call the Son, or what we call the Holy Spirit. And here Jesus is saying that he's not alone. The Father is with him, showing again the distinction, two beings. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that be a witness of myself. The witnesses cannot be the same. The witness cannot take the form of an individual over here and then come up and take the form of another individual, that same witness. You must have two witnesses. So then Jesus is say, saying he is one that be a witness of himself and then the father, two independent individuals. Now I'm not calling them human beings in the Godhead, but these two independent. Again, remember in the book of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And Paul tells us that in Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus is a part of the Godhead, the Father is a part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. So in verse 18, I am one that be a witness of myself, and the Father that sent me be a witness of me. Now he's referring now to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, nothing, murder, stealing, adultery, lying. You cannot have one witness, even if it's wrong or right. You go to the judges to get settled. You cannot have one witness. You must have two independent witnesses. And that's what Jesus is saying. There are two witnesses to everything that I'm doing. My work is being witness of me. The Father bore witness of me. When did the Father bore witness? When he said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, when Jesus was baptized in A.D. 27 in the seventh month. Continue reading Deuteronomy chapter 15. For any sin, in any sin that is sinned, at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. Minimum of two witnesses. You know, in our court system today, you can have one eyewitness that testify against a person for any type of crime. If you have one eyewitness, that eyewitness can testify and that person, would be either exonerated or put in jail. In the Bible, it's not like that. You must have two witnesses. This is kind of good. In the judgment, there are going to be two witnesses. They're going to be Jesus, they're going to be the devil. So if a person, a sinner, accepts Jesus and his name come up in the judgment, there are going to be two witnesses there: Jesus and the devil. Because the person accepts Jesus. Jesus is going to say, this person, Father, have accepted me. You have committed all judgment to me, according to the book of John, chapter 5. Jesus is going to say, Father, this person has accepted me. The devil is going to say, no, I have tempted that person. I, I had tempted that person. That person committed many, many sins. There are two witnesses, Jesus and the devil. Jesus is going to say, Father, they have accepted me. The devil is going to say, no, that person is a sinner. That person is going to be found innocent. That person will be saved because for that person to be lost, there must be two witnesses against them. Now, here comes a person who had never accepted Jesus. The judgment, the name comes up, and the devil says, I tempted that person in the past. That person sinned. Jesus is going to say, Father, that person never came to me. So, therefore, there are two witnesses against that person that person is going to be lost. So the symbolism in the the Bible was set up for us to understand how it will be in the judgment. That's how it's going to be in the judgment. And that's what took place biblically on the tenth day of the seventh month where we call the Day of Atonement when sins were taken away. All the sins that were confessed and placed in that sanctuary was taken away on the day of atonement and then on the 15th day of that same seventh month the people had a big celebration gathering all the rest of the harvest of the year but also a celebration because all the sins were taken away and that's how God set it up and that's why he said there must be at least two witnesses there cannot be one in the judgment the devil's testimony alone will never cause a human being to be lost. Brothers and sisters, all we have to do in order to be saved is accept Jesus. It's not the Bible study you give. It's not the the amount of tithe you return. It's not the amount of sick you visit. It's not the amount of clothes you give away. We do those things because we are saved. We tell people about Jesus Because we are saved. Not in order to be saved. The only thing you need to do, the only thing that I need to do in order to be saved in God's eternal kingdom is come to Jesus and confess my sin and accept his life. He died so that I don't have to die. He died so that you don't have to die. He died so that you can live. All we have to do is accept no brothers and sisters when I realize that it's so easy to be saved and I'm looking at people who are going on pilgrimage I'm looking at people who are beating themselves I'm looking at people who are starving themselves for months and end to appease a God I'm looking at people who are blowing up themselves thinking that they are doing God's favor it's no My joy to tell these people, you don't have to do those things in order to be saved. You don't have to do those things in order to appease an angry God. All you have to do is confess your sin. And the one who came to this earth, the Messiah, the very one who created this earth and everything in it, he will be willing to forgive our sins. So that's why we return our tithes. Because we want this gospel of this kingdom. This good news. Telling about the loving God. We want it to go to every nation. To every kindred. To every person. No matter where they are. No matter which country they grow up in. Every human being. Black or white. They can be yellow. Or they can be whatever color skin. It does not matter. God loves his entire creation. God loves. Mankind, who were created in God's image, and when I say mankind, I'm not using that word in the sense of male alone, I'm using this word in the sense of humanity, God loves human beings, God wants to save human beings, and God has done everything possible for us to be saved. We are not trying to work our way into heaven. For God so loved the world that He came to this earth. He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Continue reading verse 19. Then said they unto Him, Where is thy Father? He, Jesus is speaking and they are taking it literally. Now remember, this is in AD 30. Jesus at this time has been preaching and teaching for three years. He's now almost 33 years old. And they're still asking the question. They're still calling him, in other words. And I know this is a curse word in some countries, but the, the English word that they're using, they're called, calling him a bastard, someone that did not have a father. Even those of us today who don't have fathers, we don't even know, who our father is. In that sense, we can still claim Jesus because they were accusing him that his mother didn't even know who his father was, claiming that his father was God in heaven. But if you and I, we don't know who our father is, that's no problem. God will still accept us. Where is thy father? Jesus answered. Ye neither know me, nor my father. If ye had known me, you should have known my father. Also, these words, notice where he, Jesus is teaching. spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. He was in the temple, remember we said it was on a Sabbath, with all these people gathering around him, thousands upon thousands of people. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. He had, he still had six more months to preach before it was the first day I mean, the 14th day of the first month at Passover, where he's going to die. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins, whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he said, whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. And remember at his trial before Herod and Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this earth. If my kingdom was of this earth, my servants would fight. It's sad because people today thinking that God's kingdom is of this earth, they are willing to kill in God's name. Remember, no need for killing. It's time for teaching because God is not going to set up a kingdom on this earth the way we are thinking of political kingdom. We don't have to form political parties to set up political kingdom. God is going to put an end to earthly kingdom. Remember Daniel 7, the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hand. It hit the image on his feet, destroying the gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, the clay. It destroyed everything. The wind came and blew it away after it was ground to powder. And then the stone became a whole mountain and filled the whole earth. God is not going to use the modification of an earthly kingdom to set up his kingdom. He going to destroy everything and set up his new kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You are from beneath. I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I say therefore unto you, that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, He who? He the Messiah, the Anointed One. The seed that was promised to Adam and Eve after they sinned the garden in Eden. You can read that in Genesis chapter 3. The instant sin came into the earth, the Creator promised to Adam and Eve that he would come in the future, live on this earth, and die so that they can live. They died physically, but they did not have to suffer the death of being eternally separated from God. The Messiah, promised to Adam and Eve, eventually came through Abraham, through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, was born into this earth, lived, then died so that you and I could die. If they did not believe that he was the one. Now notice what he's saying. It's not going to be some good man, it's not going to be Confucius, it's not going to be Buddha, it's not going to be Mohammed. They might have been good men, but they were not the promised seed that was mentioned in Genesis. Remember, The promised seed was mentioned to adam and eve as soon as they sinned. he is not coming just to save israel he's not coming just to save the judeans he's coming to save his creation mankind who were made in his image mankind that consists of males and females of every nation kindred tongue And people then said they unto him continue reading verse 25 who art thou jesus said unto them even the same that i said unto you from the beginning jesus had said he was the anointed one from when from luke chapter 4 verse 18 he had said this way back in ad 27 After he was baptized and announced his ministry in Jerusalem, in that very temple, three years before. This is what he said, reading in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me. The word anointed just simply means the Messiah. He had set me to be the Messiah, to preach the gospel to the poor, both the physical poor and the spiritual poor, the financial poor and the spiritual poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, those who were literally brokenhearted and those who were brokenhearted because of the burden of sin, to preach deliverance to the captive, captives who were literally captives by other nations, the Romans were ruling at the time, and captives who were captive of Satan. To recover of sight to the blind, the spiritual blind and the physical blind. So when Jesus performed a miracle of healing the blind, it was also symbolic of what he can do to heal the spiritual blind. When Adam and Eve sinned, we become captive. We become brokenhearted because we're separated from our Creator and we became blind because Satan blinded our eyes. Jesus the anointed one, the Messiah, came to set at liberty all who were bruised physically but spiritually also by the devil He came to undo everything that the devil had done I have many things to say unto you, continue reading John chapter 8 verse 26 But he that sent me is true, I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him They understood not that he speak to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. Notice, six months before he died, he's telling them, the very scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and people, how he was going to die. Some of them who stood there and did not believe, when they saw how he died, they remembered. And then when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and those 3,000, many of those people that were converted, it wasn't so much from Peter's preaching, it's from remembering what Jesus had told them. All Peter did was remind them of what Jesus had said. So when they lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. Jesus never use any of his divine power to do anything for himself everything he did was through the power of the holy spirit that came upon him but as my father had taught me i speak these things and he that sent me is with me the father had not left me alone and that's the same thing that jesus said he said he would never leave us nor forsake us for i do always those things that pleaseth him. Now, remember Jesus is referring to Moses. Just look and live. In Numbers 21, verse 8, when the people had rebelled against God, the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Make a serpent just like the one who is destroying the people. The serpent was biting the people and they are dying. And set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass That everyone that is bitten, when he look upon it, shall live. Brothers and sisters, as you're studying with your Bible in your hand, remembering the incident in Numbers when Israel was going through the wilderness, and they were bitten by serpents because they complained so much against God. All they had to do, when Moses made the serpent, they did not go out and make a serpent somebody has made the serpent somebody has put it on the pole all they had to do was look in faith that's all they had to do and they would live many of the people did not believe many of the people did not look many of the people died it's the same way today the provision is there john 3 verse 14 as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whosoever, it doesn't matter which nation you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the texture of your hair. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter how short you are. It doesn't matter how fat you are, how slim you are. It doesn't matter if you're male or if you're female. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. All you have to do is just look in faith, all you have to say, I believe that Jesus the Messiah came to this earth and died, died so that I can live and you are saved. That's all you have to do. And then just go and tell somebody that good news that Jesus died for the sins of the world. You don't have to blow up people, you don't have to go and crusade and kill people. You don't have to lay traps for people all you have to do is accept jesus the holy spirit will live in you and then you go and tell somebody and they'll accept jesus just look and live continue reading john chapter 8 verse 30 as he spake this word many believe on him So those hundreds of thousands of people satan had used these people, to cause an incident, God took the incident and turned it out for good. Through the incident, Jesus was able to teach and to preach, and notice, many believed on Him. Then said Jesus unto those Jews, the Judeans, these were the descendants of Judah, the Judeans, which believed on Him. If you continue in my word, Then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. Now notice what the truth does. The truth shall make you free. Jesus had said sometime also, sometime before, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the water, the living water. Jesus is the bread, the living bread. Jesus is the light, the living light that gives life. Jesus is the truth. You will be led into all truth by following Jesus. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How says thou you shall be made free? That's a lie. They were in bondage. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. They were in bondage in the past to the Philistines. They were in bondage in the past to the Moabites. They were in bondage in the past to the Ammonites, they were in bondage in the past to the Midianites, they were in bondage in the past to the Assyrians, they were in bondage in the past to the Babylonians, they were in bondage in the past to the Greeks. And at that time, that very instant, they were in bondage to the Romans. But in order to make it seem as if Jesus was telling lies, they said they were never in bondage to any man and they were always free. Can you see the length that people will go, the length that the devil will lead people? They will deny the very fact of the condition that they were in. The devil has blinded their eyes. And that's why Jesus said he came to restore the eyesight. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Whosoever commits sin is in bondage to sin. Whosoever commits sin is in bondage to the master, the devil. And the servant abided not in the house forever, verse 35, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, You shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. They said, then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now remember, just the day before in chapter 7, they wanted to kill Jesus for claiming, when he claimed that God was his father. And notice, they're doing the same thing. We are one father, even God. So you can see when they wanted to kill Jesus, when Jesus claimed that God was their father. Is that they understood that he was not just claiming that he was in the, the son of God in the sense that we have children. He had claimed equality with God. And that's what Paul said in the book of Philippians. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ, who, though being equal with God, thought it no robbery to be equal with God, but laid it aside and took on the form of a servant. The reason why he took on the form of a servant, so that he could save us. Philippians, that's found in Philippians chapter 2. Now, I want to show you the words Jesus used. It's an interesting word he used there. He said, I know that ye are Abraham's seed. That word he used during John chapter 8 verse 37 is a Greek word and the strong number is strong number 4690. Your Abram seed, it meant sperm. Sperm in a sense as offspring. Now in verse 39, he's going to use a different word. So let's read it. They, said, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, now he used a different Greek word. Over here he used perm. Over here he used a Greek word that means children, but children in the sense of dependent. So he said, I know that you're Abraham's offspring. But now he's saying, if you are Abraham's dependent, what's the difference between offspring and dependent? The best way to explain it is to look at the time when we pay our taxes. You can have children that you cannot claim on your taxes when it comes to tax time in April if you're in the United States. They are your children but because they are grown or they are not living in your home or if they are working but earning their own livelihood and they are not dependent on you you cannot claim them on your taxes. So Jesus said, I know that you're Abraham's children. But now he used a different word in verse 39. He said, now, if you were Abraham's dependent, what did the de- de- dependents? The dependent now is someone that you're responsible for them. Remember God had said to Abraham, I know Abraham that he would command his own household after him and they would keep God's commandment. That's in Genesis. I think it's about Genesis chapter 18. Now, what Jesus is using now is a reference to that same conversation. He's saying, if you're in Abraham's home, if you're Abraham's child, dependent Abraham, then Abraham would have taught you, and you would live just like Abraham. A dependent, you can claim it on and your taxes. So, if you're dependent, that means by you're depending on Abraham's being your father to teach you, and Abraham is going to teach you properly. So, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that Israel was looking at the fact that because they are from the lineage of Abraham, they were automatically saved. And Jesus is saying, nope, you're not automatically saved because you're an Israelite. You're not automatically saved because you're a Judean. You're not automatically saved because you're a Jew. You're saved because you accept and have the faith just the same way Abraham accept and have faith. So anyone can accept and have the faith. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8. Anyone who are led by the Spirit, then they become children of God. We become ears through Abraham when we accept the faith. When we accept the teaching of God. Is not given to a special nation. Remember Moses said that in Deuteronomy. He said God did not choose you because you are more than other people. Because you are more righteous than other people. Because you are more good. You are better than other people. He said God chose you. God made a covenant with you. Because he made a covenant with Abraham. whom he loved. Abraham was called a friend of God because Abraham believed God. So you and I today, if we accept Jesus, we can become dependent and we can be saved in God's kingdom. We don't have to become Israelites. We don't have to become Judeans. We don't have to become Jews. All we need to do is accept the Bible. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would have loved me. For I proceed forth and come from, came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my words, ye are of your father, the devil. No, they claim to be Abram's children, so they claim Abram as your father. Notice what he said. No, you're not Abram's children, you're the devil's children. Why are you the devil's children? Because you're doing the same deeds that the devil would do or did. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Remember Jesus said, he is the truth. The devil is a liar. Continue reading. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, For he is a liar and and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. No, Jesus is speaking to Israelites, literal descendants of Abraham in the temple he's speaking. And he's telling them, you are lost. You are not children of Abraham. But anybody who accepts him, he's telling them that they are saved and now they are children of Abraham. Now notice what Jesus asks in verse 46. Which of you convinced me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God, heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Brothers and sisters, as we study, let us not become children of the devil. You can only have one or two fathers. You're either going to have God as your father, or the devil as your father. If you do evil, if you lie, commit adultery, murder, then your children are the devil. If you love, if you speak the truth and do righteousness, then you are children of God. It is as simple as that. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say, we not well that you are a Samaritan and as a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I other my father, and ye do dishonour me, and I speak not mine own, glo- and I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And what did they do? They jump on this. Then said the Jews unto him. Now we know that thou art a devil. Abram is dead, and the prophets, and thou says, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead, whom makest thou thyself? Remember, this was the same thing the woman said when in the conversation. When Jesus was speaking with her at the well in John chapter 4, she asked, Are you greater than Jacob? That's all they look at. They look at their ancestors and always put in their ancestors and pedestal and said, If you don't do something greater than our ancestors, then you're nothing. Brothers and sisters, it's good for us to look at our ancestors. But our ancestors, their greatness was only through Jesus. Or their greatness was only because they're being led by the devil. It's only two masters. Either you're being led by God, the creator, or you're being led by the devil. We should look and understand that our ancestors, many of them, they prayed and asked God for help. They prayed to God. We can't come behind now and worship the ancestors we need to worship the god the ancestors worship if they had worshiped the true and living god the jews put more credence in ancestors than even in the messiah who was right there among them jesus answered if i honor myself my honor is nothing it is my father that honoreth me of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. No, this gave them something again to get at him. But now, let's ask the question. How did Abraham see Jesus' days? Jesus was a lamb who was sacrificed in place of Isaac. That's how Abraham saw uh, Jesus' days. Remember, Abraham received information from God that he should take his own, his, that he should take his son, his only son whom he loved, that son of promise, He should go to a place and sacrifice his son. Now let's look at now some of the symbolism. You have Abram and you have his only son. The son of promise. Remember he had had uh, Ishmael, but Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was a type of Christ because the Messiah was promised. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in, in verse 15. That was the seed that was promised. Abram was told to sacrifice his son. Abram traveled another three and a half days of traveling. When you read and follow the chronology of the time in Genesis. After traveling three and a half days, he saw the mountain on which he should sacrifice the son. If you remember the conversation with Abraham and Isaac, Abraham, Isaac said to Abraham, Here is the wood, here is a fire, where is the lamb? Because He didn't know that he was the one that was going to die. And what did his father say? My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. In other words, God would provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. The wood was placed on Abraham and Isaac's shoulder. Isaac had to walk up to the mountain where he was going to be sacrificed. Remember when Jesus came, the cross was placed on his shoulder and he, was walk- he had to walk up to Galgotha and then he died being hung on that cross. So again, Abraham with Isaac is a type of God with Jesus. Isaac did not die. The angel stayed Abraham from killing Isaac. But then an animal was found caught in the thicket by its horn. You remember the crown of thorns that were placed on Jesus' head, symbolizing the ram, being, the ram being caught in the thicket. The ram died in place of Isaac. So Abram understood that there would be no deliverance when Jesus came for him that somebody would die in his place. But that Ram that died in the place of Isaac taught Abram a lesson that God was going to provide an animal, a lamb, that would die in place for mankind. So in that sense, spiritually, Abraham saw the work that the Messiah Jesus would do when he came to this earth and that's what Jesus was referring to when he said Abraham saw his days. Through the symbolism of Isaac, Abraham saw that the Messiah would come and die in behalf of humanity. The Jews, the Judeans, they thought Jesus was speaking literal, they did not understand the spiritual lesson that he was teaching. Type in Isaac met antitype in the Messiah where the Messiah came. In his willingness to offer his only son, the son of promise, Abraham saw Jesus who came to this earth as the only son, the son of God, who came to die for humanity. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abram? Jesus said unto them, verse 58 of John chapter 8, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. What is he referring to here? You remember Moses with a burning bush? Remember God appeared to Moses, In the burning bush and told him that he's going to send him to Egypt to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let Israel go to let his firstborn go and if he did not let his firstborn go he would say his firstborn and then Moses had a lot of question and the voice from the burning bush said I am that I am so he showed brothers and sisters that the very one who was standing there speaking to Israel in the temple was the pre-existent creator of the earth, the creator speaking to Moses, claiming that he was the I Am. So, the creator who created the heaven and the earth is the same one who took on flesh in John chapter 1 verse 14, became the Messiah, came in human form, and lived on this earth, and died for us so that we can live. The very one who said to Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden that a seed would come through the woman is the one who eventually came. God became man and died for us. Jesus existed before the beginning of this world. John chapter 1 verse 1. Jesus, the anointed one, was the rock from which Israel drank. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. So it shows that that Messiah, the one standing in the temple on that Sabbath in AD 30, speaking to the people, was the very creator, was the very one who appeared to Moses, was the very one who spoke the Ten Commandments from heaven, was the very one who led Israel through the wilderness, was the very one from whom they had drunk the water, the one who took on the shape of a rock water came out of that rock it was the same one the Messiah the Creator and that's why Jesus is different from any other person he's different from Mohammed Mohammed was a good prophet he could have been a good prophet but he was not the Creator he was not the Messiah Jesus is better than Confucius Confucius could have been a good teacher a good philosopher. But he was not the creator. He was not the word who became flesh. Same thing with Buddha. He could have been a good teacher. Could have had thousands of thousands of followers. Could have lived to an old age and died. But Buddha was not the creator. Buddha was not the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And then died, then rose from the grave and ascend to heaven as our high priest. There is no other name given among given to men that's under heaven that can be a way means of salvation. But the name of the Creator, the Messiah, I pray and hope that as you study, that you will understand. God bless you.